As you're being seated, if you take your Bible with me to, uh, to the book of Matthew, we're in Matthew's gospel this morning and we're going to consider the parable of the talents. This is Matthew chapter 25. We'll begin in verse 14 and I'll read through verse 30. If you don't have a copy of God's Word, there are a handful in the back there. Feel free to stand up and go get one. It's important for you to see the words of God in front of you, to know that they're not mine, but they're His. Uh, it's an important, an important thing. Matthew chapter 25, beginning in verse 14, and I will read through verse 30. Jesus says, For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. He who had received, he who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he who had two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug it in the ground and hid his master's money. Now after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here I have made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also, who had two talents, came forward, saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here, I have made two talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He also, who had received the one talent, came forward, saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here, you have what is yours. But his master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and at my coming I should have received what was mine with interest. So... Take the talent from him and give it to him who has the ten talents. For to everyone who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. If you remember back to the beginning of 2020, which has seemed like an eternity ago. But if you remember back to the January, uh, the first weekend in January 2020, you will recall that we began working our way through the first 11 chapters of the book of Genesis. Uh, in early in Genesis, just the first couple of chapters, we discovered that, uh, that God, this is an important and fundamental doctrine for all Christians to believe, that God created everyone and everything. Now, this is not a difficult thing for us as people to affirm intellectually, especially those who, of us who have been Christians uh, for quite some time, and even for those of us who are relatively new in our faith, the understanding that God created everyone and everything is a fundamental doctrine for us. 
Again, not difficult to affirm intellectually. However, the, the, uh, the implications for our lives uh, are a bit more difficult. Scripture gives us a ton of implications uh, in, in line with this doctrine that God is the creator of everyone and everything. But here this morning, two, uh, two implications that we need to consider uh, and will become exceedingly apparent to us as we work our way through, through this parable. The first implication that we need to be aware of as we approach Matthew 25, 14 through 30 is that since God created everyone and everything, he ultimately owns everything. And therefore, everything that we have is ultimately his and not ours. That makes us, everyone in this room, a manager or a steward. The second implication, however, this one is going to drive some personal application for us out of this parable, is that since God created everyone and everything... His ownership, or we could say his lordship, is not limited to material. The ownership that God has is not limited to material. His ownership extends beyond our liquid and our fixed assets to our developed skills, to the thoughts and ideas that go on in our minds, to our natural giftings, and to our days and our months and our, our years. These are all, these things are all under the lordship of Jesus Christ, and he has rightful claim on what we might call and what we'll refer to from this point forward as our time, our treasure, and our talents. These concepts, these implications of God as creator of everyone and everything, the implications of these things are, are countercultural. They're countercultural. There was a J.G. Wentworth commercial. I think it's probably about 20 years old now. It's stuck in my mind. Uh, the, uh, a bunch of people opening up, throwing open their windows and yelling, it's my money and I need it now. I think, there were, I think it was something about insurance payments payouts or something like that. Um, but in our society, that's kind of the picture that we see going on around us, especially when we're making our phone calls to customer service when our package arrived in a, in a state that we weren't happy about. In our society, we're told that you have the right to money and things. But again, if God is the and has, is the creator of everyone and everything, then he has rightful claim on everyone and everything, then we must also affirm that the allocation of everyone and everything that we are is up to him also. Similarly, in our culture, we're always being marketed to as maybe, quote, busy people. If you turn on the TV and watch a handful of commercials, you'd be like, this is for you as a busy person to make your life easier so that you can devote more time and so that you can make more time to the thing, for the things that you want to do, not the things that you wish you didn't have to do, like, like vacuum your floor. We, we go on vacation and we pack in a ton of things and when we get back from our vacation, 
Our friends ask us, how was your vacation? And we say, busy, I need a vacation. Rebecca and I did this just a couple weeks ago. We didn't have our children with us, which means that we didn't have to buckle up and unbuckle several kids every time we wanted to get in the car. So we're like, hey, we can just go do that thing because we can get out of our car quickly. And then maybe we burned it a little too too heavily. But uh, we think to ourselves that we are entitled to some, quote, me time. And so we have these developments in our society, like robot vacuums. Uh, they vacuum our floor, and we sit on the couch, and we watch YouTube videos on our phone. And no shame. If you have had a robot vacuum, great. Good for you. That's awesome. The point, though, is that you're being told that the robot vacuum is going to free you up. But the reality is that a robot vacuum doesn't actually guarantee that you will be a better manager of your, of your time. And so what Jesus says here, and the, the doctrine of God as creator of everyone and everything, actually has some dramatic implications uh, for our, our time. Implications that are ultimately counter-cultural. We see that literally everything in our sphere is allocated to us by God and should be used for His purposes and not our own, which stands sort of at the heart of this parable. Stands at the heart of this parable. So we're going to walk our way through uh, Jesus' words here in Matthew chapter 25, and we're going to break it up in this way. Uh, The first thing that we're going to consider is that the master allocates different resources or different amounts to his servants. Uh, The second thing we're going to consider is that the first two servants are commended for their faithfulness. The first two servants are commended for their faithfulness. And then the third point is that the third servant is criticized for his faithlessness. So uh, the first point then is to consider very simply a very basic observation, but that each servant receives a different amount. The man gives out, the master of these servants gives out five talents, and then he gives out two talents, and then he gives out one talent to his servants, respectively. Uh, For reference, before we go on, a talent is quite a bit of money. Uh, The the servant who received five talents uh, received about 50,000 denarii. And a denarius is a day's wages. It's a day's wages. He received 50,000 of those. And so if we're assuming a six-day work week, five talents would be over 150 years worth of wages. So this isn't a small amount of money that he's giving out. He's not flipping a nickel to his servant and saying, don't spend it all in one place. He's legitimately giving them a big chunk of change to, to manage. And, and a wealthy individual like the man who Jesus sets up as the master they, they would regularly go on long trips. And part of the reality of going on a long trip means that uh, there would be no expectation or understanding of when, because in the ancient, the ancient world, travel was haphazard and you never knew what was going to happen. Um, you, you wouldn't know when you were going to return. And so he gives uh, these guys a ton of money and says, I'll be back in a bit. See you later, BRB. And everyone else... Uh, looks and they they look at what they've been given and now they realize they must do 
something with it. <clears throat> but there's an important point here in the fact that they don't know when their, their master is going to return. The servants don't know when the master is going to return, and that's important for us to consider. Because maybe you were jarred a little bit when we started verse 14, uh, where uh, Jesus just says, for it will be like a man going on a journey. And we have to ask the question, well, for, for, for what will be like a man going on a journey? And we must go back up the page. And, and John is actually going to preach on this next week, uh, verse 1 through 13 in, in chapter 25, which is all about the second coming of Jesus. And so what, what, the, what Jesus is getting at here is that, uh, that it will be like he's referring to his second coming, but also the time in between now and, and his return. The servant doesn't know uh, when the master will return. And so the question that we're posed with, if we read the first part of chapter 25 into this parable, the question that, that's posed to us is this. How are we to make the best use of what's been given to us while we wait for Jesus to return? How are we to make the best use of what's been given to us, our time, our treasure, our talents, while we wait for Jesus to return? And Jesus answers part of this question by immediately saying, well, it begins with a good understanding of what you have been given. It begins with a good understanding of what you've been allocated. Is it five talents? Is it two talents? Is it one talent? The first servant given five, the second two, the third one. And so we all, as Christ followers, must make an accurate assessment of what we've been given. 60 minutes in an hour, 24 hours in a day, seven days a week, 52 weeks in a year. You don't know how many years you're going to get in your life. And you don't know when Jesus is returning, but you have been allocated something, and right now is something. Uh, you don't know, or, or you've been allocated also in, in, uh, in relation to this, you've been allocated financial resources. You get a paycheck or a stimulus check or, a, or 10 bucks from your grandma on your birthday. You've also been given gifts and talents. Not like the currency talent that we've been talking about, but talent like you're so talented. Talents. Maybe it's like a musical gift, or you're uh, good at accounting, or you're generous, or you're hospitable, or you're an encouragement to others, or you're a good teacher. Each person has been given an allocation of time, treasure, and talents, and it is different than another. So what we're called to do right out of the gate is to properly assess what we have right now and to work to be faithful with it. Oftentimes we steep in discontent and we say, if, if I just had more time like that person, or if I just had more money like that family, or if I could play the guitar really well, then I could actually do something. But the reality is that's not what Jesus is saying, assess what God has given to you to manage and steward and work towards faithfulness. On the flip side, oftentimes we think to ourselves, yeah, there are people who are better at that thing, so I'm not even going to do it. 
Um, but then we also suffer from sort of this false humility when we are actually really good at it. We're like, ah, oh, don't just, it's fine. I, 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 it's okay. I, I'm not that good. And then in the process, we actually devalue what God has given to us to manage and to steward and to work toward faithfulness with. <clears throat> so the call again is to assess what God has given to us and work towards faithfulness because, and this is the second point, because this is what the first two servants are commended for. Uh, some people have tried to turn this parable into a, uh, like, God is only happy with you if you uh, turn your money into something, or you get an earthly return on investment that is this much. Some might say, these two guys, they doubled their money, and that, that was entrusted to them, and so if your earthly year yields are less than 100%, then you won't be considered faithful before God. And that entirely misses the point of the parable. Rather, we see very clearly that it is the faithfulness of the servants that is commended. And this indicates the emphasis on wise use of what's been given. Wise use will bring about results that honor God. Wise use, again, properly assesses what has been given by God and then works to results that honor him. Just look at the master's words in verse 21 and then again in verse 23 to the first and second servant. He says, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over little. I will set you over much. I turn to the joy of your master. You have been faithful over little. We have to include that wise uses of our time, treasure, and talents will in fact bear fruit. This is part of it. We're not boxing at the air. We're looking to land substantial punches. The wise use of time, treasure, and talent will bear fruit. Now, caveat is that that fruit may not look like what the world says is fruit. It may be something different. We have a different metric, a different standard for measuring what that fruit is. Because our fruit that we're looking for is according to God's purposes. And it begins with faithfulness. This is what we see in the first two servants. These two servants clearly see what they have been allocated, five talents and then two talents, and have the wisdom to understand what faithful use of that allocation looks like. But it isn't so with the, the third servant, and this is the third point. The third servant is criticized for his faithlessness, for his faithlessness. Now I'm stating this point in this way for a particular reason. We may ask, isn't the servant criticized for burying his talent? And the answer is yes. But consider with me what's going on behind the scenes uh, with this servant. It's, and I would, I would suggest to you that it's actually faithlessness. Because the faithlessness, the faithlessness of the servant is apparent to the servant's improper understanding of what's required by his master. The faithlessness of the servant is apparent 
through the servant's improper understanding of what's required by his master. His master desired to uh, desired wise use of the resources he allocated to his servant. So if you have if you have small children and you hire a babysitter, you and your spouse you go on a uh, go for dinner. It's really nice. You you go on a nice walk at sunset and you come home. What are your expectations? You expect the kids ate their food. You expect they got to put to bed at a reasonable reasonable time. You may have more. Um, good for you. But what you don't expect is that you come home and your kids, in the meantime, have learned calculus. That is an unreasonable expectation that your kids would, would all of a sudden be able to do, do calculus. But if you came home, on the flip side, if you came home and the kids were watching TV well past their bedtime and the babysitter forgot to feed them dinner altogether... You probably wouldn't, you probably wouldn't, maybe you're more gracious than me, but you probably wouldn't hire that babysitter again. Because the babysitter, following the directions that you gave, represents wisdom through practical understanding of a faithful use of allocated resources. There are chicken nuggets in the freezer, put them in the kids' mouths. That's, that's what, that's a faithful use and a wise understanding of resources allocated. The first two servants, their understanding of who their master was, the understanding of who their master was, caused them to understand what was required of them and ultimately led to the faithful use of their allocation. The third servant actually says it with his mouth. He actually speaks this out loud. He says that his master reaps where he doesn't sow. He says that he gathers where he scatters no seed. In other words, his master is a real go-getter. He's got business savvy. He's going to get what he wants when he wants it. And he has high expectations. The third servant says this out loud, knowing full well who his master is. A wealthy, business savvy man. But he he has an improper understanding of what that actually means or how that actually works itself out. He thinks that that means he shouldn't take a risk with what what his master gave him. He thinks he should play it safe and put it in the ground. That's the wrong application. That's not what his master requires. The principle that lies behind this is that correct belief leads to correct action. It must lead to correct action. Correct belief must lead to correct action. And so we ask the question, where's the breakdown for the third servant? And I think it comes in verse 25. Look at the first little section right there, before the comma. So I was afraid. So I was afraid. The the master, his character does not bolster the confidence to boldly invest uh, his talent he'd been given. The third, servant's char- the third servant's master's character doesn't bolster his confidence to boldly invest the talent he's been given. So he acts out of fear. This is the opposite of, of faith and why we might say that the, the third servant is faithless. Hebrews 11.6 says, And without faith it is impossible to please him, that is God, 
For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. The third servant should have gone to the bank. He should have identified himself as the servant of his master who has great wealth and incredible business savvy because what would he have had to fear if his master's name was attached to the investment? What would he have had to fear if his master's name was attached to the investment? So think with me practically. And if you don't get anything else this morning, get this. Please, 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 please. You've been given a lot of things. It may not, it may not seem like that. You've been given a lot of things. You have a brain in your skull, a bank account with money in it, a job, you have skills and giftings and a car, etc., etc., etc. All of these things have been given to you by a God who created everyone and everything. He has entrusted you within them, with them. And therefore, therefore, his fingerprints are all over all of it. His fingerprints are all over everything. And so you could be like the third servant and think to yourself, God gave me these things. He made them, and that's scary. And so I should sit on them and not take any risks. But this is exactly his error. This is exactly the third servant's error. The, ser- the third servant wasn't criticized for losing money or for not making money, but just for not doing anything at all. Or you could be like the other two servants and boldly take what is ultimately God's, that has his fingerprints all over it, that has the name of God and therefore the power of God attached to it and leverage his name to boldly invest knowing that it's him and not your efforts that will bring about a return. Now again, I'm using this financial language because that's what the parable does. But I'm talking about literally everything in your life, your next thought, the, the, the shoes on your feet that are going to walk you to your car, that's going to take you to McDonald's to eat a Big Mac that you're going to obtain with currency. All of that has God's fingerprints all over it because he created everyone and everything. And so we need to, everything that we've been given, everything that we are called to steward and manage, is is meant to be leveraged with his name behind it, boldly investing knowing that it's him and not your efforts that will bring about God-honoring results. And so the call is simple. The call to the third servant was simply, or should have been out of the gate in his own mind, I just need to get out there and do something with this. If I went to the bank and wanted to take out a a business loan, I don't have a ton of assets, and so I would be able to take out a small amount. But if I went to the bank and I had someone like, say, Warren Buffett backing me, I would be able to take out a whole lot more. And so the principle applies to us too. Every, Every one of us in this room has been given something by a God who created it all. And backs it all. And therefore we should lever it for his purposes. So we see that the third servant acts wrongly. He buries the talent in the ground. And when his master returns, 
he finds his unwise use of his servant's allocation. He gives that talent to the first servant, and then he casts out the third servant. So consider a couple of takeaways with me this this morning. And the first is simply this. It's a question for you to consider. Does your life reflect the reality that God, as creator, has claim on everything you are and everything that you have? Again, think about how God has made you. This is not out of bounds. This is perfectly within bounds because God made you. Think about everything that he has developed in you. Maybe it's a developed skill that you've worked on as a result of his grace in your life. You've grown proficient in electrical work, or you've honed an art form, or you've become a great baker. Those things are all important and should be leveraged. Maybe it's a gift. You easily make people feel at home and comfortable. You're kind and compassionate. Are you able to help people understand the things of God or just the world better? Or you're great with kids? Think also, though, about what God has given you to steward financially. And maybe you say, well, it's not much. But again, it's really important to realize that God allocates different resources differently. What matters isn't how much or how little, but the faithful use of what you've been given. And also think about the time that God has given to you. Oftentimes, we're tempted to burn the candle at both ends so that we've got nothing left over. Or do we frequently find ourselves maybe wasting time? Or that time escapes us because we mismanage it or don't judge it well. In each of these areas, in our time, in our treasure, in our talent, can you say that you clearly see what God has allocated to you and that you're working to wisely and faithfully use those things in ways that honors the one who entrusted you with them? Or inversely, are you burying the talent like the third servant? Using financial resources for yourself and your purposes. Friends, that's burying the talent. Not using your gifts or talents at all out of fear. That's burying the talent. Overloading or mismanaging your time. That's burying the talent. So consider that question. Does your life reflect the reality that God as creator has claim on everything that you are and everything that you have? The second thing I would like you to consider is this. God has provided a venue for you to use your time, treasure, and talent. This is a venue and one that the New Testament frequently encourages believers to spend their time investing their time, treasure, and talent. This is why I said earlier when we looked at Romans chapter 12, and I'll reference that in a moment, but that that's a trajectory for us. This venue or stage uh, for God-honoring use of these things is the local church. Okay, so it's not uncommon for you to hear about sacrificial giving financially in the local church. It's not uncommon. But again, what about our time? Are we talking about sacrificial use of our time? Are we talking about sacrificial use of our skills and our giftings? The reality is that God created and is the source of those things also. They belong to him and he gives us those things, not to make our lives better, but to proclaim his excellencies to the world and to one another. 
uh, the Apostle Paul is clear that what we have and who we are is meant to build up the church. In 1 Corinthians 14, he's specifically talking about spiritual gifts. Jesus in Matthew 25 is talking about more than just spiritual gifts. However, the, the, those in Corinth needed instruction about spiritual gifts. And those come from God also. And there's a lot of debate about spiritual gifts, not in getting to that right now, but Paul says to a local church in Corinth who longs to see their gifts on display, he says this, So with yourselves, since you are eager for manifestations of the Spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. He gives them the focus. It's not for yourself. It's not to make yourself look good. It's not to better your life or your existence to live your best life now or whatever garbage the world is selling you. It is, in fact, given to you to build up the church. That's the goal of the spiritual gifts, and that's the goal or one of the primary goals in what God has given to you in the form of your money, in the form of your giftings, in the form of your developed skills, in the form of your brain power, in the form of, go down the list, name whatever, X, Y, Z, whatever God has given to you. This is why, okay, at Buffalo City Church, we put, a, we put a premium on membership and why we say membership is important to us. And, and what we really want to understand membership to be here at Buffalo City Church. Some people have argued membership is not in the Bible. Um, and I would say, yes, you're absolutely right. Membership, according to your definition, is not in the Bible. Because your definition is that you pay some dues and then you go to a boring meeting. Um, that's not what we're saying. In our scripture reading in Romans 12 this morning, we see a biblical understanding of membership. Paul writes, For as in one body, in verses 4 and 5, For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. So, Here's the way that we define church member, what a church member is here at Buffalo City Church. A church member is a Christian who formally aligns himself or herself with a particular local church, in our case, Buffalo City Church, submitting to and following the example of its spiritual leadership for the purpose of building up the church through love and through the use of our time or his or her time, treasure, and talents. And you'll see that Romans 12 passage referenced there. The encouragement here is to join men and women in this congregation who have committed to use their time, treasure, and talents to build up the church. That's what we're aiming at with church membership, to formally align ourselves with the goal of doing this. And, and maybe build up the church needs a definition, and that definition is that we would grow in love and knowledge of God that we would grow in Christian maturity, and that we'd grow in our public witness to the community at large. It doesn't just mean getting people through the front door on Sunday morning, although that's often a result of a church that exhibits these things. But it's deeper than that. It's aimed at the heart. It's aimed for caring for and considering others, loving one another, and not just words, but also indeed. Okay, third and final takeaway this morning. Short one. Take time this week to consider how you can wisely and faithfully use what God has allocated to you. Uh, it's my goal this week to provide you with some questions just to help via email 
for you to consider more closely what God has entrusted to you. And this week, take time in your community group with the men and women who are there, who you've built relationships with, to consider these things. If you pick up a community group discussion guide on the way back, there's going to be questions there. They're geared towards this. They're geared towards helping you consider. If you're not part of a community group, find a friend who you trust in the church. And if you struggle to see how God has gifted you, ask someone who knows you well. What what has God given to me here in the church? Ask someone that question. If you don't really know anyone, this would be a good time to start deepening those relationships. And then consider joining formal membership. Again, working our way through this together. Simple step, working towards wisely and faithfully using what God has given to us to steward. Friends, our creator God has graciously given us a portion of what is rightfully his, and we are given it to manage. And in Christ, through his sacrifice, through the atoning work on our behalf, we are granted the freedom and the ability to wisely and faithfully make the best use of our allocation while we wait for Jesus' return. Don't fear, like the third servant, but in faith know that all you have bears the name of a creator God, and it can be boldly and confidently and faithfully invested for his purposes. Let's pray.